1: by Ministry Grid and Pro Media Fire. Plus, I want to talk to you about something really exciting that's happening over at the highimpactworkplace.com. It is back open today uh, after being closed uh, for a little while and uh, we'll talk to you about that at the end of the show. But I'm so glad to have Jefferson Bethke on the podcast. We have a really interesting conversation. He's got a new book all about hustle and overwhelm and uh, how to get out of the the race that a lot of us seem to be in. And I mean, the dude's, he's got like serious street cred. He lives in Maui. And if you follow him on Instagram, New York Times bestselling author, he, uh, he seems to do okay at that. However, I think the most interesting part of the conversation to me happened when Jefferson and I kind of figured out uh, partway through the interview that he being, you know, 22 sort of catapulted into fame on YouTube uh, is really the first generation like he's of the age of the first generation where the only job he really has is to be him and to write books and podcasts and YouTube and all those things and we talk about that like most people who ended up becoming well known for something did so out of another job and uh yeah it's kind of interesting it's a bit of a meta conversation about what's happening what's changing in our culture so that's that's a really fun part plus well we just talk about a lot of stuff. So I think you're going to love today's show. And uh, hey, I did some free courses for Ministry Grid that are available in the month of January with a really cool bonus. So uh, if you head over to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry, you will not only get some courses I did exclusively for them over at Ministry Grid and get to access those for free, you will also get a copy of my latest book, Didn't See It Coming as a Gift, if you complete those courses sooner rather than later. January is almost gone. Can you believe it? So head on over to ministrygrid.com carry. Check out the free courses and also check out their full volunteer training library you can use at your church at Connexus Church where I serve. I'm founding pastor there. Uh, we use Ministry Grid. Absolutely love it. It helps us with, uh, well, a relatively large church these days whether your church is large or small, I think you'll enjoy it. Also, you ever find that your staff, speaking of staff, get a little bit overwhelmed with creative and media demands? I recently heard about a growing church with nine campuses that had a problem. They had an in-house team, but their in-house team, yeah, this never happens in leadership, right? Guess what? Was overwhelmed with the demands of media requests for graphics and videos. They just couldn't get it all done. And sometimes you can't just hire your way out of a problem. So to solve the problem, they reached out to ProMedia Fire to get a media bundle for each location. And they knew that hiring ProMedia Fire would get a media team for the fraction of the price of hiring additional staff. So whether you have a small, midsize or even mega church, uh, you might have the same problem. So ProMedia Fire can solve the problem for you. You can hire an entire creative team of professionals for a fraction of the cost of hiring additional in-house staff. For a 10% discount on plans for life, Go to ProMediaFire.com forward slash carry. That's ProMediaFire.com forward slash carry. Well, I am so excited to bring you this conversation with New York Times bestselling author, podcaster, Jefferson Bethke. Well, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hey, it's great to have you. You uh, you strike me as a pretty chill guy. I've followed you online for a number of years, but clearly I missed something there. You're pretty driven, aren't you?
0: Yeah, it's funny to uh, maybe look like that on the daily life, but then write a book about hustle, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I I think I am and I'm not. So that's where I, I, that's an interesting thing is I would say I don't feel like I'm much more driven or ambitious than the millennial spirit in general is, if that makes sense. Yeah. But what I mean by that is I think actually there's something, ex- there's external realities right now, I think, in our culture that actually are making us feel this way, not just our personalities, right? Um, now, mm. of course, at some level, I do like to, I go fast. You can probably even tell I'll talk fast the whole interview. That's normal speed to me. This is actually half speed to me, so you should hear how I talk to my wife. Um, <laughs> but uh, I try to be very intentional on podcasts to go half speed. But no, yeah, I, I am at some level... Um, And that's definitely where the book was born out of, of trying to wrestle through that. Hey, is this drive? Is this ambition? Is me wanting to achieve and have goals and all these different things probably four or five years ago is the beginning of this journey. Is that leading to what I want it to lead to? And that's definitely where it came from.
1: Mm. Yeah. There's a moment that you write about in your book where uh, your wife says to you, I wonder if I married the wrong person. Yeah. Do you want to
0: talk to us about that moment? Sure. Yeah. That's always a fun question, right? Uh, Mm. When your wife asks you that. Um, But yeah. And I think um after we journeyed through that moment i think we both realized again that collective spirit but that 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 question from her to me was um because what we were realizing is looking back on it now of course we almost we realized that we were kind of buying this bill of goods that you can call the american dream or you can just call modernization whatever But we realized, man, this thing of like, get married at this age, get a house by this age, get a job that you love and that fulfills you, we actually, luckier than most people our age, had gotten those benchmarks, right? A lot of millennials are disenchanted because they're not reaching those benchmarks, right? It's very difficult to maybe buy a house now or this or whatever. But, you know, I was married young, 22, I think I was 22 when we got married, had kids at like 24, 25. We had a home and a job that fulfilled us by mid-20s. That's pretty rare. But yet, Mm -hmm. even then we were like realizing, oh, so like every step of that benchmark actually made us more frantic and more busy Mm. and more hustled and more things to do or more things that we have to life hack or solve or be good at. And that's where that question came out of from her is because that was just one of the collision points is that I was wanting to travel and speak more and all these different things. And she doesn't like that. That kind of makes her, she's a homebody. And so that was reaching a tension point, but that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg um, for sure.
1: Wow. So uh, how, did, how did you begin to address that? Was that like a defining moment for you? Because I think we've all had that. I've been married a lot longer than you. And I didn't quite hear those words, but I'm sure those thoughts went through totally. my wife's head where she's like, what? The, I didn't sign up for this. Like, what is, <laughs> yeah, right. what, what, are, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Totally. Why are you so driven? Right. So would yeah. you say you're the more driven of the two? Or she's yeah, driven 100%, in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I have
0: yeah. I have a new idea every day and I bring it to her and she just gets overwhelmed, and, you know, and all that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that that, that story, and that's why I put it in the book, was certainly kind of this um, a moment of like kind of realization of, man, this isn't, the, the trajectory that we felt like was the right Western young millennial path to put ourselves on wasn't leading to blessing and flourishing in life, clearly, because this moment's showing mm. like, yeah, it probably wouldn't lead to this. And so then, yeah, that was through a long journey, not overnight. It wasn't, I'm not going to romanticize it, but uh, that certainly was the inception moment of then probably a couple years. This would have been about five years ago total. So probably a journey from the last five to three years ago. Um, just asking, okay, well, what is the answer, right? What What is going on and what is it? And for us, it was a personal journey of our us, you know, uh, as Christians, as followers of Jesus saying, man, I think there's something actually in Jesus where we were trying to do all the things that he was telling us to do Uh, In regards to like the right ways to live, but we weren't listening to what he was saying about the pace or the cadence or the speed at which to live. And I think that's the big blind spot in the Western church is we, we, we listen to the laws or the teachings of Jesus, but we don't really pay attention to the way of Jesus. Um, and I know there's a lot of non-faith people listening as well, but even Jesus, as this standalone historical figure, uh, certainly seemed to be able to do that dance enormously better than anyone else, right? Of being able to be interrupted, but intentional, but faithful, but slow, but methodical, and change the world in a really, really uh, particular weird way that we wouldn't have chosen if we were writing that story.
1: Well, and you know, I think you make a good point. It leads to exhaustion, regardless of your perspective. it leads to exhaustion. It leads to frustration. It leads to family breakup. It yep. leads to anxiety. It leads to depression. You know that kind of constant on thing that you have. So there's a lot of leaders. I mean, the average listener, from what we understand the demographics to this podcast, is about your stage in life. Mm-hmm. They're between 25 and 35. Um, they're driven. They're hustlers. They want to get things done. They they want to make a, a dent in the universe. So you're talking to a lot of younger leaders. Why do you think getting sucked into that vortex of like over committing is so easy these days? Do you yeah. feel it's easy? Like, like totally. you said there, you, you hinted yeah. earlier, you said there are pressures on us in the age yeah. we were raised that actually make this more complicated. Totally.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the default. And anytime you turn on a phone with default settings, right, it's just going to be those default settings. And I think oh, us yeah. in the Western church, like speed, hustle, hurry, like that's default. Meaning like if you just, if you're not paying attention, here's another way to put it if you get in an inner tube, right, uh, in a river, you're going to just float downstream without any effort, right? You're going to just flow yeah. wherever the kind of the inertia, the momentum is going, but it takes intentionality to walk upstream, right? You can't just float upstream. And so that's what I think. I think we need to realize is to live a life that's different, that's unique, that's purposeful, um, whether that's a religious one or not, even, I would even look at books like deep work by Cal Newport, one of my favorite books mm-hmm. changed how I yeah, work too. some other different things. Like you actually to do live anything intentionally, that's different from culture. You have to kind of intentionally put one foot in front of the other upstream rather than just kind of sit in the tube and go downstream. So yes, I think it's, uh, really easy to be overcommitted. Um, you know, there's that, I forget the name of it I write about it in the book, but there's this concept in psychology of we always conceptualize time in the future as bigger than what we conceptualize now. Right. And so like, even though there's only 24 hours on the Friday a year from now, as there is 24 hours on this Friday. Right. But yet you just, you, and there's something about that where we just, we over we over, we think there's more there. And so we, so we do that in our culture, right. Where, um, then we say yes to things in the future that when, once we get there, we feel pinched. So I always say, just be really careful of measuring those days. Um, and then the last thing I would say is Derek Thompson, one of my favorite writers for the Atlantic. He wrote this really beautiful article last year called, I think the idolatry or the religion of workism. And he has this Mm. line in there where he talks about uh, work for almost all of human history was just about making things, right? It was just about production of utility and use and things that was good. He goes, but now work is about making us. Work has fundamentally shaped to be about identity formation, not product production. And to me, I 100% agree with that. That's why we are reaching this, this point because we are trying to produce us with our effort. We are trying to become something or become like someone that we want to be. And man, that pressure is enormous and impossible.
1: I'll have to, we'll link to that article if we can find it. Well, I'm sure we can find it, Uh, but we'll link to that in the show notes because I haven't read that. And I would really love to read that article. I think that's true, which is also a bit of a generational difference. Uh, I'm in my 50s. So I remember life before the internet. You barely remember life before the internet. <laughs> Not really, right? <laughs> no, In your my childhood. Sister, me and my sister were the gap of.
0: of like the internet, knowing what it was like before, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and you think about that, you're like, you have to be over 30 now, w- yep. probably even over 40 to remember life before the internet. But um, even this thing that we're doing, you and I were chatting yep. about your podcast, right, before we started yep. recording... I mean, I think about it all the time. Like when I was twenty five, that would have taken millions of dollars and yeah. connections that I yep. that the average person simply didn't have. Like I didn't have the connections to totally. I, I worked in radio, but like I had to go to a radio station and get hired yeah. and somebody else made the capital investment and you know, I did that for eight years and it was fun while it lasted. But like for me to say, Oh, I'm gonna go start a radio station or I'm gonna be a TV yeah. broadcaster like that was bajillions of dollars and thousands of connections with people that, that none of us had. And yet all of a sudden, if you have a MacBook or a phone, uh, you can be your own brand. How has that shaped your mindset? I mean, because that's how you got your start too, right? On YouTube, you just did the spoken word video that exploded. And next thing you know, your life's different forever.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think, um, yeah, I got lots of thoughts on 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 that. But yeah, that's how I started. And it was accidental too. I mean, I was just like 22. I was a, a spoken word. I wrote for my college and uh and just kind of, you know, I was like, oh, let's put it up online. or maybe our friends and our moms would see it. So yeah, totally accidental. I wasn't trying to make a brand. I wasn't trying to produce this huge thing. I just I think just like uh being a native young person, I was just doing what like, you know, native young people do. They breathe and they make videos and they post internet content, you know? Right. And so that's what I was doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think certainly the the one of the this is the tough place we're in right now is because humans are brands right now. And I don't know if I love that, if that makes sense. Mm. I don't, I, th- I think it's a little mm. dehumanizing at some level. And I think it's, I think it's okay on the surface. Meaning, mean, like I totally think it's okay to, um, you know, in the honest way, just represent yourself, have values, have something that kind of people know you for, and you talk about and you use your giftings in. But where I think it does get really damaging is brands are 2d humans are 3d. Right. And <sighs> I think that's, and that's where I think we get really stuck is we don't let people be, 3d right even like this is mm. this is a thought i always think about too is like i find it really fascinating that i think following someone should be a little bit like zero-sum game right where you're kind of actually keep keeping score in a good way and what i mean by that is like if they've if they if i'm following someone and they've poured into me or i've gotten value from them for five six seven years day after day after day then if they post one thing that's like heretical if you're in a religious circle yeah. or bad in uh you know secular circle yeah. you know i'm not just gonna be like oh i'm gone right? Well, that's what a lot of people do, like unfollow. I'm, and I'm like, what? That was like a thousand points over here. And then one point over here. Right? <laughs> like, I'm just like, to me, I don't, but it's weird how we do that, where you can just put value, 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 and one thing wrong and people are gone. Um, and I just find that, I think that gets at the heart of that whole brand dehumanization thing a little bit, but uh, that's a little tangent, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting.
1: No, I think this is really interesting. If you don't mind going down the rabbit trail, uh, I hadn't, hadn't actually thought about this before we got into the conversation. But it's interesting. And I think this is generational. I I heard about your video on YouTube yep. and we'll link to it. It's what, Jesus is greater than religion or yep. something like that. Yeah. Yep. And and I mean it got what, a gazillion views overnight? Like it was just one of those things that blew up back in yeah. 2012. Yep. And that's when I first heard about you. I didn't know you. But is it normally what happened? And I think this is a really interesting philosophical difference between generations, right? Most people who got known for something got known like to pick a boomer. Jack Welch ran GE, but became bigger than GE. So CEOs or leaders, they would be known for the work that they do. Even Patrick Lencioni, who's been a guest, right? He's written a book, so he's got a book, but he's really a management consultant. There's the work over there. But I would suggest, and it was one of my questions later on, it's like, so Jefferson, what exactly do you do, right? Which is, which is... (laughs) but you've kind of always been you for the last eight years. Like that's sort of, but your full-time job has been creating content in one format or another, which is really, I think you're the first sort of era in history that's been able to do that. So do you want to speak into that a little bit? It's just really interesting to me. I mean, there
0: is a couple different things there. I think one thing that I've thought about too is, you know, uh, Thankfully, and by the grace of God, but also just, uh, good mentors and all that, uh, one viral video was able to turn into just, this is what we do now for eight, seven years. It's sustainable. It's there's, you know, it's, I'm not even batting an eye about that anymore. I remember my mom was like, you can't make a living out of this, you know, that whole thing. Um, (laughs) which I love my mom to death, but I always, Joe, I always poke fun at her because she works. Uh, she always is like, Oh, it's going to crash tomorrow. It doesn't, it's not sustainable. It's the internet, but she works for the government. And since then she's had two government shutdowns where she's been out of work. And I'm like, hey, I've never been out of work. You've been out of work. You think the government, <laughs> you think the government's the most stable, the opposite, right? The, the peak stable, like stable job. Uh, so I just think that's funny, but anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, so, but I think one reason I've noticed that is, you know, cause there's a lot of people that go viral and then they try to take advantage of it. And what I've noticed is usually someone who can or can't is depending on if, if it's an, if they're centering on ideas or not. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like usually mm-hmm. it's like, if, it, if it's just a funny cat video or something like that, well then you're not, there's, what are you like, what are you going to do next? Right. But if yeah. it's something about like, Hey, let's c- g- gather a community around ideas. Then I think sometimes that tends to be more sustainable. Uh, and I was luckily what happened with me. Cause I like talking and thinking and having conversation on the internet. And so Yeah, but that's what we do now. So the way I like to say it is um, I really do enjoy um, what we do. I kind of consider it as I want to make people think freshly, deeply, or uniquely about the person and work of Jesus uh, kind of in a digitally native way. So that can be a podcast, that can be social, that can be YouTube, that can be Snapchat sometimes, whatever, um, courses. And then I think books kind of aren't digital, but uh, they come out in that same kind of way. So yeah, it's an interesting world though, for sure, because like you said, even like Welch and some other people... People used to follow people because of their work, but now we follow people because of their ideas or their brand. And that's a different world that we're having to wrestle
1: through. You know, To the extent that you're comfortable, and obviously you love your mom, but can you go back to that conversation with your mom? Because I think it's a conversation that's probably happening more often than we think in the workplace. So what was her mindset? What was your mindset? And yeah, just take us back to that that season with your mom.
0: Because I have a lot of friends in this space too. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we all joke that like we've all had that one conversation with our parents because it makes sense. They want you know, parents always want to make sure it's sustainable and you're stewarding it well and all that things. But, but yeah, the internet, when it was in its infancy, people were like, well, what is it right? Or is it here to stay? Or how is it, how do you monetize or how do you live and all that? I think what's interesting, and I, I can't remember where I read this, but I do think we have to break apart this, this divide between like entrepreneurship or uh, a digital content creator or something is taking a lot more risk than like someone who's just like at a normal job with like in an office with a boss, which both of those are fine. Like take take the course you're meant to take, but like they're the same. If I'm, and what I mean by that is like, mm-hmm. you can lose the business you founded over here or you can just get fired without even <laughs> having no choice or say about it. over Totally here.
1: beyond your control. Yeah. Yes.
0: And I think that, I don't think we give that credence. I don't think we give that, mm. like we do think there's a weird difference of stability when I think that there's not at all. That's 100% an illusion you can get fired. That business can go under. You can, anything can happen to both sides. And so I just think like, I just kind of believe that now. So I'm like, ah, eh. whether I'm doing something in season that's more under someone that is more kind of nine to five or whether I'm doing something that's more, you know, the entrepreneurial way, like they they both have the same amount of risk at some level.
1: How did, how did that, um, even earlier in the YouTube days, how did that become sustainable for you where you could live indoors and, you know, eat three meals yeah. a day? How how did that happen? Was it, was it just the ads on YouTube or?
0: Yeah. So it was ads on YouTube earlier at the earliest point. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I am a kind of a tinkerer and a thinker and I like kind of making stuff. And so I always thought, man, how do I kind of make something from a, maybe a business perspective with this? Um, I would say books have also been really, really helpful. I, I love writing. I love really thinking deeply about ideas and I think books is the best place to distill those over a long period of time and also in permanence. Um, and so, yeah, I would say certainly it certainly was YouTube, then it went to books, and now it's kind of all-encompassing in just regards to digital and courses and live events. I have a whole, me and my wife kind of are 50% of this brand called Family Teams which with our mentors, and that's a whole thing we do where we basically teach and equip and encourage people to build what we say, multi-generational family teams on mission, as opposed to the Western individualized experiment. It's a whole mouthful. But, um, but that comes with a lot of stuff too, and that's its own you know sustainable thing now that has books and courses and live events and workshops and masterminds and all this stuff
1: but this is this is the uh, the really fascinating part of the conversation to to me jefferson because you've been doing this for 8 years i've been doing it in increasing measures for the last about the same amount of time yeah. since 2013 really what do i do i bring ideas i bring conversations yeah. i bring perspectives to people through books through podcasts through um, videos, online yeah. courses, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And yet I had, you know, 30 years of lived life under me by the time I went to it. What do you think, you know, coming out of this, out of the gate at 22, how would, I'm trying to articulate the question the right way, but how do you think that reality is shaping you? That really what you because because the Malcolm Gladwells of the world in the old economy were very rare yeah. like to be a writer where basically you could sell your ideas through yeah, totally you know we're really rare and yet you've figured that out. How do you think that's shaping you as a near 30 year old male?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah. I mean, I think first perspective of realizing this is, I don't know if I would call it a gold rush era, but this is certainly a tectonic shift era yeah, where I'm yeah. really thankful that I can do things like this that are more sustainable now than they probably would have been 20, 30 years ago. The democratization of ideas, the, um, you know, the proliferation of ideas, uh, we're certainly co- content. We're certainly in that era. So I, I'd have to give some more thought on how I think it's particularly shaping me. Um, but I do think it's an interesting era for sure. I think it's a little bit more uh, evolutionary, you know, or a little bit more Darwinian in the sense of, I do think we're living in a period that has has a lot more crap than the past. Right. Meaning Mm. like there's no gatekeepers, there's no people guarding it. So you just, there's a ton of crappy stuff out there and ideas and because there's no one keeping anyone from saying anything. Right. So I think that's bad at some level, but I also do think the Darwinian effect kind of plays itself out where like those people don't tend to bubble up most of the time. Right. Meaning like it's yeah. the people that, that kind of can sustain it are usually the ones that kind of you come. got upvoted.
1: You got up. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like at the end exactly. of the day, the, I always say to my team, the internet doesn't lie. I might've yes. thought it was a brilliant post, but yep. if five people liked it with a golf clap, it wasn't a, a, exactly. a great post. And, and you and,
0: can, you can blame the algorithm and all that stuff, but there use a lot of times it is. Yes. It, it'll get noticed if it's something that's, you know, uh, uh, engaging.
1: Yeah, and I guess the heart of the question, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the heart of the question is it's a little bit, I wonder, because I think of our, I'm sure he's a mutual friend, but John Acuff, you know John, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, John has a, he, every time I talk to John and we talk all the time, you know, he is one of the most excited and grateful people I know that he gets to totally. know what he does. Loves yeah. being an author, yep. loves being a speaker. You know, I'm sure we all have bad days, but John never talks about him because he just loves totally. getting on planes and, you know, he gets to do this, but he had a life when he did all these things for different companies where he's like, I've got to escape from this. And you never really had that. It's a little bit more akin. And this is what I'm driving at. Yeah. It's a little more akin to not quite being a Justin Bieber, but you know, you're the 16 year old kid. And (laughs) next thing you know, you're in front of a lot of people like you didn't have to go out and get a day job. You didn't, you didn't, you, you got to create your own day job and I think yours would arguably the first generate be the first generation yeah. to do that where you didn't have something you needed to do beforehand. And I yeah. find that fascinating.
0: I agree. I agree. And I do think even back to your point with John, I think that's what it's also done for me is it's an enormous amount of gratitude. I find myself sitting on the couch of my wife almost like once a week and just be like, oh, this is such a gift that we get to do stuff that's fulfilling. That's really what it's about. Cause I don't mm, I don't I don't mm-hmm. like romanticizing the like work from home, self-employed, you're in control of your schedule and all that stuff. I'm like, that's like, that is what it is. Just do work that's holy and honoring and it's good. And there's goods and bad parts of working from home, not working from home, et cetera. But doing something that's fulfilling is is uh, harder to be able to do these days. And that's a gift. And I'm so, so thankful. And I think, I think also the fact that it happened somewhat overnight for me actually mm. makes me more thankful because there's no possible way I can say like that was because of what I did, if that yes. makes sense. Um, and so i I think that actually, I'm really, I've actually thought about that a lot where I'm really grateful for that, where there is people that kind of slowly climb gradually. And I think sometimes there's a correlation to that with sometimes, uh, you know, a much stronger ego or a much stronger entitlement uh, because it's a little bit of like, oh, I, I put in the hard work and I earned this when I'm like, man, and I have put in hard work, but that beginning, that beginning pop uh, certainly was a gift. And when something's a gift, you're thankful for it.
1: Yeah, I think that's true too. And I think most of the people in the space that you're in or that I'm in would say yeah there's a lot of hustle there's you know pardon the book title but there's a lot of hustle there is no, you totally. have worked hard you totally have yeah. worked hard i've worked hard but i could give you the playbook and there's absolutely yes. no guarantee that it would work over again and there yeah. was an, um, uh, an amount of grace there was some favor uh, there was there was something beyond the effort put in yeah that brought us to this place, which I think engenders gratitude. What have been some of the struggles or the turning points then over the last seven or eight years since that that first video on YouTube popped?
0: Yeah, anytime someone, anytime someone is um, making their main sense of work so tied closely to their personality or their ideas, I think yeah. you have to be really careful to make sure that's sustainable. Um, I think you have to make sure you're also... Uh, filling up your cup to pour it back out rather mm. than just like trying to uh, think of something to put in the cup real quick to give to others. You know what I mean? Like basically, are you drinking from your own cup? That's another way to put it. <laughs> yeah. um, cause that's, cause that's a constant uh, temptation for a lot of leaders, specifically in religious circles where you begin to, and this is even pastors or let alone the internet. I think pastors struggle with that, right? Of like, oh, yeah. am I just sermon prepping for the people that I need to talk to? Or am I actually trying to, you know, meet with the Lord and actually find intimacy and fulfillment? just being in his presence and being at his feet. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, I think that kind of is a correlation to the internet world is very similar temptation. Um, it's just, you know, or, or doing things for content's sake rather than just living your life and sharing it. Those are, t- yeah, you know, those are, you know, I, I still, I laugh so hard cause we live in Maui and Maui's that classic. I see it all the time where people are here. And so they want to get that ideal picture. And I, I just laugh for like, it's totally, I think it's totally appropriate and fine to have social media be your highlight reel. I think that's actually what it is share your highlights, share your best moments. But when you're actually creating those moments for the picture, that's weird. And that's kind of dehumanizing at some level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's a tension I don't think we wrestle with enough of like, no, no, it's okay to share the highlights and take the snapshot when you went and go did this cool adventure. But if you didn't bring your phone, would you have still gone and done that cool adventure? That's the question.
1: Yeah, that is a really good question. And we are living for the photo op too. I'm yep. noticing more and more, uh, you know, I travel a lot. Signed up a lot of, uh, just for whatever reason, oceans, beaches, that kind of thing. And the number of people who like have yeah. a friend shooting them in that moment <laughs> now, it's becoming yeah. really meta. Part of me wants to just start posting that to my stories. It's I did yes. it once or twice. It's like Instagramming so hard right now. Yeah. But you're like, well, wait a minute. Well, So I did a social media fast. We were in Antigua for Christmas with my family. And I just put my phone away other than taking pictures for me. And I think yes. at the end of the week, after seven days off, I shared a couple and totally. that was it. But I'm like, no, I need to have moments that are not about me. To that end, where does where does your content come from? Because yeah. it is a lot about your life, right? Being yeah. a husband, a dad, yeah. living on Maui. Where where? Totally. How do you make sure that your cup stays full?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd probably say reading. Like, I'm I really love ideas. I really love thinking. I really love reading. I try to read a couple books a week at least. Is usually my uh, my habit. I try to stay with. But yeah, I think doing that is to me where I stay full because when I'm reading, I feel like I'm being engaged with by someone almost. I almost see books as like being able to get being almost to have books are almost you being able to have coffee with someone you deeply respect or maybe look up to, or at least are intrigued by their ideas, but yet it's even better than a coffee because you're getting about two or three years of their distilled work in one coffee session, right? Um, mm. or maybe a couple hours, depending on how long it takes to take the book read the book. So um yeah, so that's probably for me. I would honestly just say books. Like I just I think reading if I noticed a direct correlation of me being uh, uh, not inspired, having nothing to say in seasons where I'm not also being filled with just conversationally with ideas myself, right?
1: What is your decision making matrix for what you do? You are in Hawaii, so you can't just jump on a flight and be somewhere in an hour as you could if you were in Atlanta or New York or Boston or, you know, Chicago, that kind of thing. So travel isn't because I'm I'm thinking like even in what I do, literally a, a big chunk of my day with me and my team is trying to figure out okay are we going to say yes to this or no to this? I'm yep. sure you get a million opportunities. So what yeah. what is your what is your decision making matrix or your priority system for deciding what you're going to do and not going to do?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because yeah, and that was a hard lesson we learned when we moved here. Is you know for me to go speak for thirty minutes somewhere, I have to almost be gone four to five days, which is yeah. crazy, right? Because it takes mm. you can't. You cannot go past the West Coast from Hawaii without taking two days to do it. You just can't, wow. right? So because you can defer, you can only time zone difference. I mean, it's six hours to the West Coast and you have a three hour time zone difference. So that's nine hours just to get there. If you wow. do that in the middle of the day, you're not getting to the West Coast till midnight, right? Uh, so then you have to red eye. So then you don't get there the next day. You can do the math, but it's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, so that was one thing we had to learn is how do we be really shrewd then with all of these things that we are getting invited to in a place that's not very sustainable for travel. But yeah, I think- what I would say is the thing that's really helped us and everyone has to have their own matrix for us. The word I always come back to is integration, integration. So I try to live a life that integrates my family as most, as much as possible into us being a team together on mission. Right. Mm. And so for us, uh, that doesn't always mean like, Oh, can they come with, it's not as simple as that. Right. But yes, but that is part of the equation. Okay. Is this integrated so like, basically, here's another way to put it. Us as a family team is higher than just my vocation. Us as a family team is the second, is the tier at the above my work. And so ah. work to me is fulfilling the main work, which is being a family team, right? If you get married and if you have kids, you're an entity in a unit that I think God has brought together to actually go accomplish something bigger and larger than you could have done as an individual. I believe that. So then we step into that. So the way we step into that is by filtering everything through that. So a trip... What we usually do is we go through a couple different ways. We usually go, okay. I mean, I do like personally, individually, I feel like I like preaching. I like teaching. I feel called to that. I like communicating. There's events that are more strategic than others, et cetera. And there's of course, times I go by myself, but we'll say, Hey, can we integrate this together at any level? So there's kind of three buckets. One is Okay, we all go together. This is a trip where I want us to engage with this all together, right? And then I just ask the place, like, hey, can you pay for four plane tickets? And if they can't, well, then I just can't come. You know what I mean? Like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, mm-hmm. like I just yeah, I think that's one lesson too, by the way, for leaders listening, is like just set a bar that's sustainable for you. And if people will say yes or no to it. I think a lot of times we give too much in our negotiations that and, and that's and not out of generosity or charity, because that's fine. If you want to do something out of, you know uh, charity or give your time, or your energy for maybe lower than you normally would do that. But if you constantly set a rhythm for something like that, you're going to, you're basically just kind of fudging your own life. You know what I mean? Like you're just going to mm-hmm. hit steamroll mm-hmm. by all of that. And so that's, so I think that's one thing. So that's the first one. Second one is I'll almost always now do like special trips. Meaning like if I get invited somewhere and I do want to go to it, then I pick one kid and I rotate them and they come with me and they just freak uh-huh. out about those trips. They love it. We go to, we usually maybe we'll tag on to Disneyland or whatever. And then three. I will sometimes go out by myself. Um, and what we do there is I remember, you know, three or four years ago when I used to leave on solo trips, the kids would be bawling and crying and Alyssa would be like, oh no, I'm going to be let like just freaking out because I'm going to be left alone. But now it's it's all about perspective, right? Now the kids like pray for me and now they're sending me out. Why? Because we're a team. Like This is not daddy's individual calling. The Keys are called to be lights, to be on mission, to go teach and preach and communicate. And at this moment, I'm just a diplomat and an ambassador of this team, and they're sending me out collectively, right? And so that's a different perspective that totally changes how the kids react, how Alyssa reacts, how I react. So those three buckets and how we can fit those in sustainably is usually how we make those decisions.
1: How did you figure that out? And when did you figure that out? Was that something that you and Alyssa talked about as you were dating? Was that something you found out in real time after the other model wasn't working? Yeah. Fascinating.
0: Probably that second option, I would say a lot yeah, of trial yeah. and error. And again, a lot of just like, this isn't working, we need a better solution. And then once that happened, then I would probably say through our mentors, we are lucky to have a really uh, special couple be very uh, close in our lives, known them for years and just walked with us and can ask them anything and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and it's who we do family teams with. And yeah, they just have lived and discipled people in this concept for two decades just being a team and being a fan. And that's actually in God's design that we, we disintegrate the family right in the Western model. We, we separate them at church. We separate them in education. We separate them at jobs. And there's of course fine times for that, but we also just have to kind of go meta for a second and be like, well, everything's like that. Is that okay? (laughs) Everything, yeah. right? Everything is literally just like, just rip everything up. Like it's never okay to do something together is essentially the Western family model, (laughs) except for take a vacation. And even then, you know, maybe everyone's present, but everyone's on their phone at the dinner table in different places anyways. So, um. Yeah. It's that. But but they were certainly the ones that kind of led us and discipled us in that. And then it's just one of those small things where when a paradigm starts shifting in you, and you start putting baby steps in front, and the fruit starts like you basically a feedback loop, right? You you take one yeah. step, and you're like, oh, this really allows me to flourish. Oh, this really changes things. Then one more step, one more step, and that's kind of how we kind of start getting into that.
1: We made that decision a couple of years ago in our own family, even though our kids are grown now. But you know, as more options and this world kind of opened up, my wife left her law practice and wow. we really see this as a joint calling. Now she has her own yes. books, her own thing she's working on. Totally. Um, but it's sort of a standing invitation to go with me anywhere, everywhere, cool. and that is her call, which is yeah. which is awesome. And I it's it's it. made us way closer. Yes. Um think about your decision making matrix. So I forget whether we said this at the beginning of the interview or whether just in our little banter uh, beforehand. Uh, but you said you've kind of pivoted away a little bit from YouTube. And so you've had a number of strategic decisions and you've done a number of different things. What have been some of the factors that help you decide, okay, I'm gonna invest less in YouTube and I'm gonna do a lot more of online courses or speaking or books or whatever. Can you just walk us through that thought process? Because I think this is something a lot of leaders struggle with is like, hey, what worked in 2013 is probably not working today.
0: Totally. I would say a couple of different things. The, the, the matrix being sustainability, being impact, um, and probably just being like, just kind of paying attention, you know, I would say those three. And so for me, um, yeah, YouTube was one where like, certainly that was almost, what do you call it when it's like the thing that got you like, I, I need to be enormously grateful for YouTube. Cause that's where I got my start. Right. Um, but, you, but the YouTube grind as a YouTuber, not just posting your stuff on YouTube, but the, a lot of people get those confused. Like, churches post their sermons on YouTube. They're not YouTubers, right? YouTubers is like an actual person that lives on that community that actually engages with people on that platform. And there is kind of a culture there of what that means to be kind of a, you know, a personality on that platform. It is a grind and it is ridiculously tough. Just like video content uh, with constant, like, you know, difficult edits, constant upload schedules, constant inspiration to do that with a platform, mind you, that I 100% believe got harder and harder just by nature of the platform, by how they changed mm-hmm. the algorithm, mm-hmm. by how it got noisier, by the saturation, year and year and year, over and over and over again, probably from, I'd say, 2015 on. I just started to see the ROI just kept getting less and less and less there. So we kind of just, I mean, I didn't like close it down or anything. Just to just clarify, there.
1: you would work harder and harder at it for diminishing returns. Exactly. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, because yeah. I, I mean, like,
0: you know, uh, you know, because of saturation, because of noise, because of algorithm change. like one, one easy small one, right. Is when, when I first got kind of got the break on YouTube, if you were a subscriber to me, and I think I had at that point, 500 or 600,000 subscribers, if I, you were a subscriber, you would get notified when I got a new video. Now, if you're a subscriber, it just kind of gets put in your subscribery feed as like an algorithm chain. Like you basically, not everyone sees it is what it basically yeah. the thing, right. Yeah. They, they'll just give it to a portion of the subscribers now. Um, and maybe kind of on who they're guessing is most interested. And so that's one easy one, right? But you can go on and on with views and saturation and all that. So diminishing returns, but harder work. And so, yeah, so then I just kind of was like, well, I think we need to move on to something that's more sustainable and, and it's not that sustainable financially. It's really hard to make a life purely on YouTube financially. Um, mm. It's a great marketing platform. It's great to be the front mm. gate for all of your stuff. But if you're actually trying to like live from YouTube, that is not a good idea. I mean, just to give people you know random numbers, on average, YouTubers are going from three, $4 CPM to maybe eight or $9. And what that means is every thousand views, that's about how much the algorithm of ads will pay you. Right. And that changes wow. over the years. So if you get a, if you have a video that has a hundred thousand views, you feel like, Oh my goodness, that's an enormous video, right? That's $300. Okay. So that's not like, you know, <laughs> probably that's not, not going to pay
1: the rent. Probably exactly. Not. Right. Yeah. And
0: especially for such a high impact video, like a hundred people would die for a hundred thousand views. And so, you know, um, you can just do the math on stuff like that. So I just, that was basically it. And so I said, man, how can I use it more as a marketing platform and kind of go to things that are more sustainable and kind of almost like, and this is, I actually encourage a lot more YouTubers and consult with some and talk with some just as friends of like, make a business. Don't just like be like a personality who uploads videos. Right. Yeah. And that's a big difference. So what did you start to pivot toward? The books was certainly one of them, uh, and then you know I've written four books now in f- six or seven years. Uh, but courses, uh, membership platforms, just kind of every like this, I, I, you know, you can use the word the marketing word funnel. Um, but we kind of mm-hmm. have everything along the funnel, um, all the way up to live events, high ticket items in that regard, um, and we love it too. The cool part too is it's all stuff that like is genuine and actually has an impact on people. And if they want it, they'll get it, and then I get to be a part of you know being in conversation with them at those you know like we're going to Israel next year with, cause our family teams venture does uh, Israel tours through the lens of multi-generational Jewish families. Um, So it's like a normal classic Israel tour, but you also go to like a Jewish family Shabbat. You go see some of the, you know, businesses that own like the olive trees and groves and how they've gone back nine generations for their family, all these different things. So it's kind of a cool two trips in one, but like, that's such a fun thing then to be able to like, you know, have these people come along with us and, um, yeah, so you can just go on and on, but I think that type of stuff is where I one by one start pivoting and start adding and start changing and adapting and yeah, and then just happens.
1: And where are you seeing the most traction today in the same way that YouTube brought you a lot of traction initially? Uh, cause we're having those conversations in yeah. my company all the time and it's surprising because it's the least sexy places. I right. think you would find all the traction, right? Totally. For me, I'm curious where you would yes. find it.
0: I mean, I still think Instagram's pretty hot if yeah. we're talking social platforms, But one thing that I'm noticing that's really coming back is podcasts and uh, email. I feel like an email newsletter that's actually very, that is very, very uh, non markety and non, you know, just like a very personal like letter from you to them weekly or something like that. I feel like that really, I love doing that. That engages them. People like that. I'm seeing a high return on it. And then podcast, same thing, like a conversation that's actually longer, deeper, and not just the bite-sized stuff. Those two places I think are huge right now
1: that's exactly what we would say and you know it's funny the more online people i talk to and this is where i think just this is my little editorial and then we'll go back to the interview (laughs) in a second Um, i like it but you know what everyone's like oh we got to get on social we got to get on youtube we have to yeah 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 but those are all controlled by algorithms which i would agree if you look at what was sending me traffic three years ago and what's sending me traffic today totally different game, and I'm not yep. going to change Mark Zuckerberg's mind. Yep. Or, and
0: it's the diminishing returns thing again. It's exactly. diminishing and, returns, and it's you're on you're on rented property by the way too. It's like you don't Correct. own that property. You're rent they can immediately just take it off. But you own your email list, and you have to under, you have to think through that stuff.
1: You really do, and nobody likes email because they're like, oh, that's work or that's email. Yep. That seems so 2004. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but actually, if you really want to gain traction, email is amazing, and I think it's low hanging fruit that most organizations ignore. So it's fascinating yeah. to hear you hear you say that. Totally. And online courses too. I think that is yes. still uh, a real yeah. growing area as well.
0: It's any place that can go a little deeper and a little richer. That's basically what we're noticing, right? Oh, and so, and social is the opposite of that. Social is the, the, the most thin candy-like, you know, whatever. But yeah, courses are, if they're paying for that, they want expertise. They want to go deep. They want richness. They want thoughtfulness. Email, same thing. I feel like there's so many emails nowadays. So if they're reading yours and it's longer, that's more attention than usually an Instagram post And they're They want to go deeper. They want to hear from you. And so I think that is how I kind of see a podcast. Same thing. If they're going to yeah. devote 45 minutes of their day to you, to us, to me, to other podcasts. That's, that means something. And I think it's a, that, that, that level of depth is actually what people are craving right now.
1: I think so. If I tried to turn this into a 12 minute interview, uh, you know, we're 300 and some odd much, episodes yeah. in you're bringing stuff that no other guest has brought, which is mm-hmm. awesome, but it's going to take a longer conversation to get Yes, there. You can't yep. just like, give me your top five highlights. Okay. We're done. We're out. Yeah. Um, I, I got that. That's good. Uh, do you have a team or do you do this pretty ninja? Like right at, I know it's a virtual <laughs> business, but like, yep. have you I grown mean, it, a team or is it pretty yeah, much? Just I wouldn't you say and a and team assistant?
0: in any traditional sense. Um, and not even traditional, but like, um, uh, it's pretty, it's a pretty nimble crew. So family teams is operated then with our mentors. So that's, and then we have a couple people that really help us on that team in regards to administration or publishing or editing. And then I have one really good friend who was in my wedding who I've been friends for so long and for eight years now and uh, longer than that, but I mean, since I got married and, um, and he's basically my main go-to, he edits our podcast and edits our video and has since the beginning. And so, yeah, pretty simple, pretty, pretty chill. But, uh, from the, uh, content creation standpoint. And from all that, it's usually just coming from me or Alyssa.
1: Okay. Back to the hustle, um, and all that, what are some of the rhythms and the disciplines and the habits or strategies that you've followed Mm -hmm. over the last few years that in the midst of all this change, all the opportunities, all the platform growth have kept you sane and married and at least somewhat, (laughs) somewhat anchored.
0: Totally. Oh, there's so many there. Um, couple quick ones and I'll go into one a little deeper. I mean, we do, we have this rule called the one, one, one rule where I, uh, turn my phone off. My phone has to be off one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. Um, and that's, oh, that's so life-giving. Just like turn off your phone, turn off your email, turn the thing off, just put it away. You mentioned that earlier. Um, and I, man, that one is, I still, like, I talk about that a lot on social media and every single time, but like, what if there's an emergency? Well, what if someone happens dies or what if something (laughs) happens Then I'm like, then it just happens. Like, that's (laughs) what do you mean? Like, what did you do 10 years ago? I don't like,
1: that's not I a tell my team question. the police will find me. Okay, if it's yes. really that bad, the police will find right? me.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's true. Like, or like a neighbor will walk over, or like there's, or 100%. someone else's phone might happen, or like it's just mind blowing. Like my basic thing is like everyone lived like that for thousands of years, so uh-huh. like of course it's possible. So that one is, but but here's what's funny too is we always we're weird with our phone and with emergencies because we're dictating our entire life around a statistical zero, almost zero percent chance possibility, right? <laughs> Just like you don't not get in the ocean because there's a point zero, 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 two percent chance you might get bitten by a shark. Right. right. Um, and if you, if you are that person, then you would, we would probably say that's fine, but that's probably maybe an irrational phobia or something that's not proportion to the actual, uh, uh, you know, thing. And I think that's the same with our phone, but we're not processing it like that because hmm. we're so attached. So I'd say that, but then the one I would go into deeper is a Sabbath. I mean, we're a huge, huge proponent of Sabbath. We've been practicing it and honoring it in a more traditional way, probably five years now. Um, and to me, Sabbath is like, um, I mean, I always laugh too. Like, you know, what other of the, whatever they're like, we, we're weird. You talk about Sabbath in the Western Christian culture and people are like, yeah. oh, that's Old Testament or, oh, that's law or, oh, that's archaic. I'm like, what other of the 10 commandments do you think is a suggestion or Old Testament? Right? No one goes, oh, don't murder. And you go, "Ah, that's Old Testament. That's Old yeah. Testament. Right? You know? Don't covet. Well, that's the Old Testament, right? Now, at some level, Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, of course, but I think all that does is actually mean it's richer and deeper than even just one day a week. I think it's actually a life of Sabbath, but you kind of can play act one day a week by entering into this space of resting and ceasing and partying and celebrating. And I think that's what too is we think Sabbath is this, you know, either dry religious day uh, and you have to like, you. what can you do and not do? And that's the worst question you can ever ask is what can I do and not do on Sabbath? And Jesus made that very clear with his answers, but that there was a group of people who thought that the question is what's life giving to me and can I cease from work and my identity and production one day a week as a reset and a refreshment and a renewal. And so we do that with our family. We Friday night to Saturday night, we light these two candles with the kids that represent cease and celebrate. And we have a good meal. We get out the best food. It's basically like, what would 24 hours a week, one day, 24 hours a week, where we basically throw a party for our family and for our resting, what would that look like? And that's what we've tried to experiment for five years. And that's the most life-giving practice we've ever lived in. It's That's the opposite of the law of diminishing returns, like that we are who we are because of that practice. I can trace all of our flourishing and our health back to that practice, um, our sustainability, all that stuff
1: so what how do you celebrate you've got three kids under the age of five is that totally so that yeah that's that's a good yeah
0: (laughs) yeah question answers itself at some level it's like how do we celebrate with three kids under five um but i think well with kids i think integrating them into that is half of the fun right like we actually like they know now and it's so funny how malleable but also how much kids attach to things like our kids love 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 sabbath they fight over who can light Mm. the candles. Uh, we usually go out and play out in the street. The, the Saturday morning of Sabbath, we'll usually, you know, call it like a big family event day. So we'll go to the beach or we'll go to the aquarium or we'll go do something like that. We end Saturday with family movie night. So we cook popcorn. We don't do dinner on the table. We do, you know, it around the coffee table, around a movie. So it's kind of different ways to do it. But just like breaking the script is a huge part of that. Um, I think a lot of us, we so are stuck. Uh, we're we're creatures of non-ritual. We're actually creatures of ritual. We're creatures of invisible rituals that aren't helping us. That's a better way to put it. Wow. Uh like getting out our phone every second of every day is an enormous ritual. We just don't realize it's ritualizing us. And so, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it, but it's a practice too, right? Like, like I think a lot of times people will think it's really idealistic and really romantic. And so then they'll try it and it'll be hell. It'll be the kids will be yeah. crying, everyone will be terrible, you know, like, oh, this is so not they want it to be so perfect. That's not what Sabbath is. Right? Sabbath is a day of delighting, resting, ceasing, partying, and celebrating. Just like you can, the best metaphor is Christmas, right? Anything you want to think through about how to think through Sabbath, you can think through of Christmas, right? So no one has a Christmas that sucks, right? Maybe the uncle got drunk or you got in a family fight or you were sick or whatever. No one has a Christmas like that and then goes, oh, that sucked. Let's cancel Christmas, right? Mm. No one does that. You go, oh, maybe let's not do that again next year, right? (laughs) Maybe let's try again next year. Sabbath is the same way. Like it's a practice. Learn and learn and learn and try. But here's the cool part. You get 52 tries a year, right? So practice, hmm. practice, practice, practice. Like try to actually optimize a day of rest for yourself and make it life-giving. And, and then what is also, and also too, think about Christmas. You yeah, It is a very certain day, right? You don't just go, eh, I don't feel like doing Christmas on December 25th. Let's do it on December 27th, right? No, it's yeah. set apart. It's marked. Um, You have to kind of come into it, right? On it's like, it's kind of rigid and you have to come into it. Um, it's celebratory. It usually involves family, special rituals, special blessings, a different type of meal. Um, you can go on and on, but it's the same thing. Like, what would it look like to kind of craft a mini Christmas once a week for your family? And that that question over a long period of time can change you.
1: How has that impacted? Like, how has that changed the other six days? hundred percent because, you know, so like,
0: uh, and I know there's probably some Christians, some non-Christians listening, but there's this example in Genesis, right? Where you know, most people still traditionally know the story where God makes the whole world, all of creation, and he kind of spins it all into existence. The humans are the last day of creation on day six, and then day seven is this day of ceasing and resting and Sabbath and uh, him Him uh, delighting in His in what he's made. Uh, so it's day seven to God, but what we never talk about is it's actually day one to Adam, right? Hmm. So, So the very first moment, the very first day that Adam opened his eyes was what? Was a day of resting and delighting and of just being in God's presence even though he had been given a job, right? Go create, go cultivate, go steward the earth, go make everything look beautiful and flourish. So he's given a huge job. And then first day he opens his eyes, rest, cease, delight. And I think that's what it means to actually honor Sabbath is your whole, you're propelled. It's not the end of the week. It's the beginning of the week. You're propelled into a good vocation. You're propelled into your work, which is holy and good and awesome when you're coming from a place of rest, not trying to get to rest. And that's the big difference.
1: Mm. That's been a big change for me is I've been trying to move into even my holidays when we take a week off rested rather than using them as recovery. Yes, exactly. And how, so, um, you know, we're beyond that stage now, but we have a lot of friends who have young kids and they're like, I'm just so exhausted with the kids. Yeah. Do you and Alyssa, do you do other things like does Sabbath truly replenish you? Or sometimes you then go into Sunday and you're like, oh man, we're tired. Like how does does that work out?
0: I would say yes and no, or all of the above. Meaning like it is the most life-giving practice we do that I 100% can trace and track to actually giving us flourishing and sustainability uh, more than most young families. Not because of anything we're doing, but because of God's design that we're honoring that. But of course, we're still tired. The kids still wake up. They're still sleep schedules. They're still early. They're still late. We got to feed them. We got to clothe them, make sure they don't die. That's exhausting, <laughs> right? So I would say it's Sabbath plus systems, right? Mm. And getting really, really good systems and practices in a marriage um, and working as a team. Like uh, This is a, and something I've talked about a lot on our Family Teams podcast is if you trace the history of motherhood, it's really fascinating, but there's been three or four large changes since the Industrial Revolution that have basically made everyone else's job easier and made the mother's compoundedly worse right? So it used to be a father and a mother were literally like, almost like these business owners that both entirely kind of orbited around maybe a farm or some type of craft or whatever together as a team. Now, all of a sudden the dad goes off to a factory and now the mom has to play both. Right. Um, and so now she basically has to, so her job just got way harder, right? Because of one of the big changes in our culture, you can go on and on with how that like different movements, you know, I even talk about, I think the women's, uh, uh, what was the other one? I'm trying to think, but you can go check out the podcast where I talk yeah. about like the three or four the, the, we'll that happens where basically each step where we try to make a kid or a father or the society's life better actually makes the mom's life harder. So actually recovering an identity of team really helps that. But then two, just having systems and practices. So for us, one thing that saves, like a lot of us are living reactive lives, not proactive lives, right? Yeah. So another little small practice that takes like 20 minutes that saves our life. We call it our Sunday business meeting. So every single night, on every single Sunday night, me and Alyssa, because what happens too is a lot of us converge date night and logistics, and that's a bad recipe, right? So you go on a date night, and then all you talk about is, well, we got to take Johnny to this practice, and what are we going to do to decide about this, and what's on our schedule? And it's like, no, don't ever let that stuff touch date night. That's a different thing. But then have one night set apart where you're almost putting on your business hats. Like you are living an organizational life, right? Like Each Mm. family is like these little startups right? That you actually want (laughs) to grow into like a big fortune 500 company, hopefully 200 years from now with your last name being a legacy and being a blessing to the world, right? So it's a startup to a fortune 500. But when you're in the startup phase, like treat it like that, right? Like have weekly meetings. And so we do this thing where every Sunday night we just put on those hats and it's just bam, bam, bam. Like, Hey, uh, I think we have four things that we always decide, which is, Hey, when is our date night going to be? When are we going to have some like kind of intentional time with the kids in a special way? That's just different than our normal connection, um, we kind of, we don't say, when are we going to Sabbath? Cause we know we are going to Sabbath, but we talk about that. Um, and there's one more I'm trying to think of, but we go through those every single week. And, and then I think I say, how can I serve you this week? Or how can we uh, help each other this week? And it's funny how that just solves 99% of most of the problems that marriage and families run into True. because of poor planning, because of being reactive. Um, and it's, and we let them basically another way to put it is we put the most important things anchored in the week before the other stuff can kind of snuff it out. And that's really, really huge. Wow.
1: Anything else you want to share? This has been so rich and so wide ranging and helpful.
0: Oh, not that I can think of besides I'm just honored. I love him. I'm thinking of everyone who's listening. And and, I mean, one thing I would say too, is I'm sure there's people listening. uh, And, and I kind of alluded to this earlier where it's like, Hey man, I I want that. Or I understand that. Or I'm maybe seeing that, but sometimes we get a little disgruntled, right? Of like, Oh, maybe it's easy for you. You live in Maui or maybe it's easy for that. And, And I just would say, man, Everyone has to take their own life uh, and chase daily, intentional, faithful living. Um, And all of us still have problems. All of us, like one thing I always talk about too, because I think about that about really wealthy people, right? You look at those millionaires and those people like that, that, you know, I can't relate to. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be nice? But then I also look at the stats that say they're the people that commit suicide more than anyone else is Mm -hmm. the really, really rich people. Literally the richest people are like way more likely to commit suicide than anyone else. So I'm like, huh? Well, maybe I don't want that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and so there's, there's, everyone has problems, right? No one's life is idealistic. Um, you're probably only just seeing snippets and highlight reels, which is fine. That's another thing too, I would say, by the way, you know, I sometimes struggle with, sometimes people push really far back on that of like, oh, you're only sharing the good parts or you're only sharing all this. You know, I'm like, that's what social media is, right? Like to me, that's what it is. It, to me, I see it as like a family photo book, right? Like mm. no one you know, shaping your entire identity around a family photo book would be really weird. Would it not? Right. If you like, like, like going, going to your, uh, someone's house and just looking at their photo book to just kind of see a quick snapshot of their life, that's great. But if you take that photo book home and you look at it eight hours a day and you look at it 1,317 times per day, and you (laughs) click on it and you swipe on it and you look at it, then you're going to get an enormously distorted vision of what reality is for that family right? Yeah. Uh, because you're getting your entire reality based on their family photo book, which is their, their highlights. And I think a lot of us, we do that with our phones. We don't realize that it's a family photo book, but we're basically sleeping with it by our bedside, right? Yeah. And looking at it every second of every single day. Of course, you're going to get a distorted reality, you know, but the family photo book thing, whoever's making the photo book, one thing I would say there too, is it's okay to do highlight reels, but make sure you're not also crafting moments just to put in the photo book. Cause that's different right. too. Right? right. And so but then back to what I would say is the people who maybe feeling sometimes disgruntled or disenchanted, just just be faithful, right? I think that's something that um, I've learned is, man, God's not asking me to be successful. God's not asking me to produce a lot of things. He's asking, just really asking me to just honor him. And the one way we honor him is by faithfulness, right? Where sometimes it's not even what you do, it's how you do. It's how you do mm. it. How you do your job in the cubicle, how you do your job as a CEO of the startup, how you do your job as a maybe an entrepreneur or an online creator, or how you do your job as a pastor, man, the how is actually what God says. I see that. I honor that. I appreciate that. And that is what will lead to flourishing. That will give you life. That'll give you abundance. And I think we've lost out on that. I don't, I I even make a joke and to hell with the hustle in the conclusion where I think the word I used was snout fair. I found this (laughs) funny word that like, it used to be in the English dictionary and it's not there anymore. It's not like, you know, every year the dictionary takes out words because of non-use. And snout fair was one from like a hundred years ago. I forgot what it means, but uh, I just said, Hey, uh, faithfulness is going to live the same. It's going to die the same death as snout fair because we don't even (laughs) use it anymore. We don't even, we, that word's going away. And I'm like, that's not okay. We need to recover what it means to just every single day, live in contentment and thankfulness and honor the people that are right in front of us uh, with love of God and love of neighbor. And I think that's really, really huge. And so that's what I would encourage people with to end.
1: Well, this is great. Tell us about the book and then tell us where uh, people can find uh, all things that you're doing online.
0: Yeah. So the the new books to hell with the hustle, it's a fun one. I love the conversation it's producing. And so I encourage people to check it out and then hit me up on social media and email. I'm pretty responsive uh, five or six days of the week because I turn it off one day a week. (laughs) Um, And I love the conversation of it. of like what you agreed with, disagreed with and what it maybe did for you. And so I love the two way street of content. Um, but yeah, Tell with the Hustle, I can find it anywhere. And then Jefferson Bethke is where you can find me out on social, Google, website,
1: all that good stuff. Awesome. Jefferson, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, that was fascinating, wasn't it? Uh, you can get everything in the show notes at com slash episode 317. And we also have transcripts. So if you want to go a little bit deeper, you can get those absolutely free. Hey, thanks to our partners for this podcast as well. I'm really grateful for Ministry Grid and the work that they do, and they've got a pretty cool offer for you right now. Some free courses for the month of January at ministrygrid.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. Uh, January's almost done, so head on over there. And then if you are looking to up your media presence online, your social videos, whatever you got, reach out to Pro media Fire. And if you go to promediafire.com forward slash carry, you can get a 10% discount on plans For life. Well, uh, we got a pretty cool lineup set up for 2020. You've already enjoyed Francis Chan, Louis Giglio, Liz Fork, and Bohannon, John Mark Comer. Uh, next up on Thursday is Jenny Allen, and she is the founder of the If Gathering. And I'll tell you, I have been a student now for a year of some of the women in leadership and ministry, and it blows me away what they are leading, how well they're doing it. And we talk about how to get negative voices out of your head, a different model for leadership. And this was fascinating, how to motivate a large crowd. Here's an excerpt from the conversation happening this Thursday on the podcast.
2: There were 11,000 people. I remember um, I stood at the end of one of my last times of speaking there and I looked out and I thought to myself, okay, if this is all it ever is, like this might be the, the pinnacle of of people that I speak to, right? Am I okay? And I was like, I am okay. Like I am not thinking about the numbers. I am always thinking about the mama on the front row that got a babysitter for two days because her marriage is falling apart because she has no hope because she's going to show up at this conference with just a shred of hope. Like she's clinging to some remnant of hope that maybe God has something for her, that maybe God still sees her, that maybe they're is a way to restoration out of anxiety, out of her paralyzing fears, out of her, um, you know, difficult marriage into something that's healthy and thriving, like maybe, maybe, maybe,
1: So that's coming up in a couple of days. Subscribers, you get it all for free automatically, and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. When you do that and you leave a rating and review, I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for sharing the podcast as well. And guys, just so you know, uh, last year I introduced a brand new course, my first course in a couple of years called the High Impact Workplace. And I have been so excited to talk to some of the alumni who have already used the High Impact Workplace It's open again as of yesterday, and uh, it's at uh, advanced pricing, some really good pricing, but only this week. Okay, it'll be available forever, but if you want good pricing, you get it right now. And what's changing in work? Well, just about everything. Younger leaders are asking for flex work, different hours, the ability to work from home or coffee shop. They want more freedom and autonomy. Sometimes older leaders really struggle with that. I hear almost every day from leaders who are like, my boss won't, blah, blah, blah. So is it a surprise that Gallup found 70% of employees are disengaged at work? Didn't think so. So we've actually added some more resources to the course this time around. Uh, Alumni will get those too, of course, if you're an alumni. It's a brand new online on-demand course where I show you what's changing in the workplace and how to respond. So here's what you'll learn in the high-impact workplace. You'll learn how to attract and keep high-capacity leaders, especially young leaders who would otherwise just go out and start their own businesses. You'll learn why eight to four doesn't work anymore and figure out what does. I'll show you exactly that. You can identify the currency that motivates young leaders, but sometimes frustrates older leaders. Uh, You'll learn how to negotiate and handle flexible work arrangements that result in deeper productivity. I actually give you a script, a negotiating guide. Uh, You can master the five questions every great manager asks their team so that your team engages more deeply in the mission and discover how to create workplace environments that multiple generations can thrive in, plus a whole lot more. So the future workplace is the flexible workplace, and uh, you can get your organization relevant to the next generation of leaders. High Impact Workplace works for churches, not-for-profits, and for businesses, as long as you are working in the information field, which a lot of us are. So you can learn more and get instant access by going to thehighimpactworkplace.com. So excited to have that course open again. If you have any questions, hit me up on social. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in a couple of days. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast.